to the DeCesare Group Podcast. I'm your host, Jim DeCesare, and thank you for joining us. This week, our special guest shares a unique perspective on the intersection of transportation and economic development. Stick around for my interview with Joe Plunk, District Engineer for the Kentucky Transportation Cabinet. At the DeCesare Group, we understand the power of effective public relations in driving business growth and success. As a family-owned firm based in Bowling Green, Kentucky, we are committed to providing comprehensive PR solutions tailored to businesses of all sizes and their unique needs. Explore our solutions at the DeCesare Group. From crafting compelling content and amplifying your brand's voice through social media marketing to enhancing your online presence as a Wix icon partner, we've got you covered. Leverage our strategic business and economic development expertise, expand your reach with digital advertising, and capture attention with professional graphic design. The DeCesare Group has a proven track record in political consulting, developing successful campaigns and strategic solutions. For a limited time, the DeCesare Group is offering 25% off our standard social media package. Click the link in the show notes for more information. Partner with the DeCesare Group for effective solutions that drive your business forward. Hey, welcome back. I want you to do me a favor and follow the DeCesare Group on Facebook, X, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And subscribe to our newsletter, Soki Economic Development and Business News, on our website, thedeceseregroup.com. And, of course, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. Your feedback means a lot, so leave us a review and let us know what you think. This week on the DeCesare Group podcast, I sit down with Joe Plunk. Joe is the district engineer for the Kentucky Transportation Cabinet's District 3. He is from Muhlenberg County. He graduated from UK with a degree in civil engineering. Now in his 25th year at the Kentucky Transportation Cabinet, he began his career in the design section of District 2, which is in Madisonville, and then moved to Bowling Green in 2008 to lead project development branch before accepting his current role in 2016. Here's my conversation with Joe Plunk. Hey, Joe, thanks for being on the DeCesare Group podcast. How are you? Happy New Year, Jim. I know. It's hard to believe we're in the middle of January and uh, starting a a whole new uh, 2024. I'm excited about it. Yeah, a lot of good things happening. And, of course, uh, we talk about economic development and business activity in South Central Kentucky. And I thought it would be important to have you on the podcast to talk about transportation projects because it's, it's so critical to everything we do. So, Tell us a little bit about the mission of the uh, Kentucky Transportation Cabinet and uh, talk about safety because I, I want to get that out of the way because I think, you know, when, when people are working on the roadways and, and we see those those men and women out there, we need to slow down, we need to pay attention. But tell us about your mission. Talk about safety and, and all the things that are happening at uh, District 3. I always like to explain who we are. Yeah. Right? So the Kentucky Transportation Cabinet is the state's DOT. I don't know why we call ourselves the Transportation Cabinet, but we're the Department of Transportation. We're responsible for state-maintained roadways. So think about this, 2,500 miles of state-maintained roadways within this region. So this is pretty well aligns with the Brad region, Barron River okay. Area Development, those 10 counties ex- with one exception. 800 bridges. We have uh, a program of projects that we work through, and we work with our local officials. And, of course, economic development is tied to that. And you mentioned safety. Yeah. Safety is the primary part of our mission. So the mission is to provide a safe, efficient, fiscally responsible, environmentally sound transportation system for the citizens of the Commonwealth. And that provides a quality of life. It provides economic opportunity. So transportation and economic vitality really go hand in hand. Sure. And when you when you talk about safety, you're talking about having safe roadways, uh, you know, for, for travelers uh, to, to come and to come and go and to make sure that, that, you know, 
everything's in place to make sure that everybody's getting from point A to point B in the, in the safest way possible. Safety is, like I said, it's most important. So sure. when we when we we get a lot of concerns from citizens about intersections or stretches of roadway that have a, a crash experience, mm-hmm. and we're we're looking at that. That's part of a, a daily analysis of what we do to try to find ways, even you know, practical ways to try to improve our road system and make it as safe as possible. Uh, an example that that comes to mind right off the top of my head is when we we widen I sixty five to six lanes. Uh, there were some some areas uh, here in Warren County that were pretty dangerous before that, and and you've seen the crashes go down considerably in, in those specific areas. Is that is that a good example? Can you believe, in 2008, when I moved to Warren County, the only section of I-65 that was six-laned was from the Natcher to the Cumberland, mm-hmm. 20, 22 miles or so. Yeah. Uh, since that time, we have this transportation cabinet has widened I-65 from Tennessee state line to Elizabethtown. So that, that didn't happen overnight. Right. But we have seen the, the obviously the decrease of uh, crashes, serious crashes. Mm-hmm. The raised median, uh, the wall there eliminates the possibility of crossing over the median, which we had so many of those right. terrible uh, tragedies throughout the years before that happened. Well, that, and so that that's part of what you all do is making sure you're designing roads that are safer. Uh, for, for, for travelers. That's the question that we ask every time we sit around a table to develop a project, to make decisions on projects. It's about the safety. If it's an intersection, it's about how do we influence driver behavior. That's why you're seeing a lot more roundabouts mm-hmm. and these U-turn movements is because we're trying to find ways to reduce conflicts. To uh, We're never going to eliminate crashes, but if we can... El- minimize the impact as, as, you know, if vehicles are going to crash, we, we would prefer it to be where you take your vehicle to a body shop versus taking your body to the hospital. So that's always at the forefront of our <laughs> that's, that's a great, great way of saying it. And you, you mentioned the roundabouts and, and uh, so uh, 31W bypass, that's a state road? Yeah, I should have said that earlier. Yeah. People call and they'll they'll have concerns about a city street or a county road. People will call the city and county and have concerns about state roads. So yeah. what is a state road? It's it's a roadway that has a number on it, basically. Mm-hmm. Think 31W, think US 68, I-65, Highway 242. Any road that has a number is a state-maintained road. But what does that do? So those roads are really connecting communities, right? It's carrying the most traffic. Mm -hmm. It's not like a subdivision street. It's not a street downtown. It's not serving really a local purpose. It's trying to get uh, users from one community to to the next or bypassing communities, those sorts of things. So the state roads really have the higher uh, traffic counts. And that's, um, that's our focus is really maintaining those state routes. Yeah. And, and if I get, understand this right, and I learned this a long time ago when I was living down in Florida about U.S. 19, uh, you know, they used to say, pray for me, I drive on U.S. 19, because it, it was just wild. Uh, but but 31W, U.S. 19, roads like th- that have the U.S. in front of it, those are the old postal routes, right? Well, the way I understand it, yeah. yes, that is the case. And all that network was set in place about 100 years ago yeah. uh, nationally to try to connect states and connect communities. But there are the ultimate importance to us is think about 31W. So think about the freight movement. Think about the schools that are located on 31W. We're connecting Tennessee, Franklin, Bowling Green, mm-hmm. on up into Barron County and beyond. So that is a, a, a roadway that I feel like we haven't 
we haven't not touched a single mile of that roadway. Think about uh, south end of Warren County, the rapid growth that you're seeing. Right. Again, when I moved here in 2008, Nashville Road was a two-lane road. Think oh, about yeah. Campbell Lane to Natcher and on out to Rich Pond Road, a two-lane road. I can't imagine it now being the case. But in just 15 years' time, that whole network of 31W has expanded and, and provides a better connection for our citizens. And I, you know, when Amy and I first moved to, to Bowling Green in 92, Campbell Lane was a two-lane road. That's right. And when I moved here, Veterans Memorial had just been widened to five yeah, lanes. Yeah. So Lover's Lane was had, had just been widened to five lanes. So a, a lot of uh, progress I would like to point out, and I'm proud of the movement, how we've made generation-altering changes to the transportation system in Warren County and, and the Brad region. So uh, getting back to 31W and talking about the roundabouts and then the, the new traffic configuration on the bypass in Bowling Green, um, I like it. It it's it seems like everything's just flowing better. And I know you you're always you, there are always naysayers who uh, are resistant to change. But it, it's you know I talked with another engineer friend of mine and and he told me he says just it's just retraining drivers how to get from point A to point B. But you know the, you don't have to stop. You can just kind of keep going. The flow is is much easier once you get used to it. Once you once you adapt to it. <laughs> yeah, that one's been a tough one. We get a lot of questions about the bypass and the changes that were made. But it goes back to what I said earlier about safety. So, we have to design our streets to influence driver behavior. And what was happening in the bypass is a 35 mile per hour roadway. But mm -hmm. people weren't doing that. They were passing. I have da a dash cam in my personal vehicle. I have video that shows people basically treating it like a racetrack as they're moving, weaving and merging from one lane to the next. Right. You have a you have a hundred entrances over a mile and a half. So what are people doing? They're turning out onto the road. They're turning left and having to stop in the quote fast lane. And that just creates a lot of crashes. So by Changing the road configuration to three lanes, we give those turners an opportunity to move out of the way. And I always point out, too, Russellville Road from campus out toward Campbell Lane is three lanes. It has more traffic than the bypass. And it other than the, you know, the peak time in the afternoon, yeah. it generally operates fine. And so I think what people have seen since the construction, the changes that were made this summer on the bypass, is it, it really does work. The intersection with Broadway, it's a pinch point still. It's not any better, probably, but I'd like to say it's not any worse. But that whole corridor now is safer. We manage the speeds. We've given businesses opportunities to have turning uh, paths. So mm -hmm. it, overall, it's been an improvement. So let's talk about some of the uh, notable, notable accomplishments and uh, major projects in District 3 that have had a a significant economic impact on South Central Kentucky area. You know, we talked about I-65, but talk about some of the other ones. Well, think about the Trans Park on the north end of the county. Wow. Um, just five, six years ago, we we cut the ribbon on the Trans Park connector, the new Exit 30. It yeah, I was there. <laughs> I remember, yes, it was a big day. It because was. it was. it had been planned for so long. A project like that, $70 million, lots of environmental hoops to jump through, lots of opposition, actually, from folks that live out there. and But we got through it, and we made the best of it. And I, I can't imagine not having that connection now. And certainly, it's a big boon for the Trans Park and yeah. all the freight movement and for employees. I mean, the Trans Park is like a city in and of itself. Yeah. So that is a, a big one. A lot of our focus has been around the Trans Park with 31W improvements, the connector road, but even the Natural Parkway, I know we don't call it that anymore, it's I-165, but that 
extension out toward Alverton. That mm-hmm. two-mile extension meant that not everyone has to drive on Scottsville Road. That's right. And I've already mentioned Nashville Road, all those improvements, Lovers Lane, Veterans Memorial, all this really just in the last decade in, or 15 years. Yeah, and, and, and of course, you know, all, really all roads lead to economic development in some form or fashion, whether it's a mom-and-pop business or whether it's a big, you know, plant like Ball or Crown or whoever out in the transport. Um, talking about one of the interchanges, talking about Exit 30, I remember when Exit 26, uh, I mean, lots of opposition. And now those same people are loving it because they have quick access to the interstate. They can jump on there. They can get to Scottsville Road or they can get to the to I-165 or they get to Exit 30. So it was a game changer. It really was a game changer for Bowling Green, in my opinion. Yes, that's a perfect example. That does predate my time here, but I've heard the stories about the opposition and not just the connection, not just the transportation purpose, but think about how Cemetery Road or Johnny Webb Boulevard, I think that section is called yeah. now, think about how that has become a gateway into Bowling Green and how others, private private entities, have stepped up to make that a beautiful entryway with the landscaping and the maintenance that's enhanced and it's really a beautiful way to enter into the community. And we, we use those examples when we talk about future connections. So we're not there yet, but what about a Plano Rich Pond connection to I-65? What about Elrod Road Small House, those connections that yeah. we've been talking about for a while, a haven't happened time. yet? But hopefully one day we're able to make those connections. And we, sh- we can show people that Cemetery Road was, an, was a, a success because you're not going to get every truck stop to pop up out there. If you find ways to protect the infrastructure and to dedicate the adjacent land use in ways that's beautiful, you can really make it a gateway. And I and I'm sure that with uh, Bucky's coming to the Smith Grove, to Smith Grove, there had to be some improvements there as well. Uh, I mean, the traffic is going to drastically change in that area. Oh well, I'm uh, I'm already <laughs> worried about the com- concerns and the complaints that we'll get. Bucky's is scheduled to be online sometime midsummer, so mm-hmm. we understand July Fourth weekend sometime open to the public. Bucky's is a perfect example of a private a partnership. So they came to the table and they said, this is what we want to do. They're, they're investing $4 million in the infrastructure there. That includes ramp widening, traffic signals, a roundabout at their entrance because they get it. They want people to have easy inflow and, out, and exit from their property. And then what does that do for the rest of North Warren? What does that do for the rest of Smith Grove? And we've been working with local governments too, uh, Judge uh, Gorman and the local officials of Smith Grove to see what how is this going to expand beyond just the interchange. So we're yeah. looking at ways to make improvements to South Main and, and beyond. So one of the things that that I should mention here is is obviously with my time in the legislature, I was was on the transportation committee uh, all fourteen years, uh, and then I actually serve as a representative on the MPO uh, for this area now, and. A lot of a lot of people, and and, and I, this is where I want you to explain this on how projects are selected, how they are funded. So, what does the the future hold for transportation projects in terms of those currently funded or under development? Because it's 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 a long process. You don't just say, "Here's the money, go build it." There's you know right of ways. There's you know design, all that stuff. So I, I don't want I want you to answer that question. Right. I'm glad you mentioned the MPO. The Metropolitan Planning Organization is the the forum for folks to come together. It's open to the public, right. but there are folks at the table every month or every two months when we meet, 
And that's the local elected officials, that's WKU, that's the Chamber of Commerce, the list goes on. And we're sitting around the table making, uh, talking about needs. We have a long list of needs in Warren County and even beyond. I mean, South Central Kentucky, think about Simpson County, also a fast-growing community located on I-65. There's a lot of this discussion that happens routinely, and that helps build that list of projects that we try to get either in through the executive branch, and the DOT is part of the executive branch, or working with legislators to try to get projects funded. We don't just wake up one day and decide that this... We're going we to, need a road. We're going to move. <laughs> we're going to move dirt or, or yeah. lay asphalt. So there is planning, and it you know it takes too long. I wish it was quicker, but there's a lot of steps to jump through right now in this current budget cycle. We have 44 active projects in the Brad region. Mm-hmm. So the, these are projects that are at some level of development. They may be early in design, like US 79 and Logan and Todd County. They it may be uh, Cleveland Avenue in Glasgow, which is a big connection to their industrial base there in right. Glasgow, where we're buying property. We have almost 200 parcels to buy across the region. So we're having to work with each individual property owner. Moving utilities. We have a $4 million Texas gas pipeline to move out by the Transpark in order to finish the 31W project. So all of this is underway, and we have a, a great group of professionals that are working through all of those tasks in order to get us to construction. And that's when people really see the, the yeah. needle moving. But, but usually, typically, uh, when when you start seeing a, con- a road construction project underway, it's been underway for a couple of few years. Yeah, well, okay, think <laughs> about 31W out to Rich Pond. That was the community's number one project in the 2012 budget cycle, and we just opened it to traffic in 2021. So right. it took about a decade mm-hmm. uh, t- to get that done. Sometimes we have better success. The roundabout went from start to finish, cradle to grave in about four years, some other interchange projects about that time. But in that four, five, eight year, that's about an average from the time a project is conceived until you're you're able to drive on it. Yeah. So lo, lo, 44 projects underway right now. Is that what you said? And that's in the Brad region. Just that's, in this region. That's yeah. not all Warren County, but right. in the in the Brad region. So when you say the Brad, you have all the, the, the Brad counties plus Todd? Plus Todd. Okay. Minus Hart. That's the Elizabethtown okay. office. I got you. All right. All right. So considering the, uh, the critical link between transportation infrastructure and economic health, Elaborate on how the work of the cabinet directly impacts and contributes to the economic well-being of the community you serve. You well, know, if you, right here. If you don't have transportation connections, you can't move freight. Right. You, you can't get employees to their jobs. Um, Bowling Green, it's been said on this, in this in this podcast before that we have so many jobs in Warren County and folks are coming from Butler and Edmondson and, and Grayson and Barron County. They're coming here to work. We have to improve our infrastructure in order to get them here. Mm-hmm. But if you can't maintain what we have, if we can't maintain what we have, then we're we're going to fail uh, economically. And fortunately, because of some of those examples that I gave you earlier, we are thriving in this part of the state. And there's more to do. And there's always going to be a long list of needs. But but that connection between economic uh, opportunity and transportation is vital. Yeah, absolutely. And so one of the things is funding projects. And and for those who don't know, in Kentucky, transportation is its own budget. It's it's separate from the general fund budget that the, the legislature passes, which they'll pass this year. Yes. Um, so you have three budgets. You have general fund, transportation, and um, a judicial budget. Okay. Uh, transportation. T- talk a little bit about the, the funding uh, and, and shine some light on how transportations are funded, especially 
uh, highlighting how the funding differs from traditional revenue streams like property tax and occupational tax. Yeah, so we work off a two-year budget. So mm-hmm. when the legislature and the governor get together and they, they enact a plan in the even year, and this is an even year, 2024, so by April 15th, we should know our marching orders for the next two years. Right. We also have this look ahead, the next four years. That's We're not authorized to spend that money yet, but we at least know what's planned in the next, you know, hopefully in the next budget cycle after this one. And that revenue is basically... Uh, largely generated by the motor fuels tax. So mm-hmm. think about gas tax. Every yeah. time you go to the pump, um, to the gas pump, you're paying, I think right now it's 28 cents, something along that yeah. line. It's it's fluctuated from 26 to 31, but it, it's... It, yeah, it depends on the price it, of the gas. It's, honestly. Right. Yeah, it's there's tied, a formula. <laughs> it's tied to the average wholesale price of fuel. And it right now it's at 28 cents. And then there's a federal gas tax, which has been unchanged for 30 years. And that all goes to D.C. and gets distributed to the states. But... It's a little different than how, you know, folks look at their property taxes or occupational taxes that I would say is more local. And the locals have more discretion on how they spend those dollars. So as you grow your tax base and a community that's growing like Warren County, then you can do more. Right. But with the motor fuels tax and the vehicle usage tax, which is another component. The, the, the new one? When, the, or not the, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so f- uh, for as long as I know, uh, we've had a 6% sales tax. You go buy a car, you're yep. going to pay 6% sales tax. That goes into this road fund too. It's less than the, the, the gas tax. But also for those vehicles that uh, you know don't buy gas, they think about uh, electric vehicles, yeah. they're not contributing to any. They haven't been until yeah. January 1st. That's what I was saying, the new tax <laughs> or that new fee or whatever it's called. It's the fee for electric vehicles and hybrids. I believe it's $120 for every electric vehicle and $60 for every hybrid vehicle. So before, you know, they weren't really paying their fair share if you want to look at it that way. But as the, as the population grows, as the tax base grows locally, you, you, you can project to have more revenue from occupational taxes and property taxes. That's not really the case with the road fund because all that goes to the one big pot of funding that gets distributed across the entire state. And it doesn't necessarily come back dollar for dollar to the right. local community. Yeah. And, and you know, prioritizing those projects is a, is a huge process that goes, it takes several years. I mean, it's an ongoing process uh, that's always happening. And then it goes up to Frankfurt and then the legislature can change it on, a, you know, they, they can kind of direct projects as they see fit as long as they stay within the budget and da, da, da. but talking about how you know there there are a lot of unfunded projects out there there's always more projects than there are, there is money and so that's that's always been the case the last budget cycle i believe the number was what there was 8 billion dollars of needs recognized mm-hmm. as we worked with uh, the the Brad region and we uh, just and in this is, region this is no i'm sorry no, that's the state yeah. but as we work with our local officials the mm-hmm. ads and the mpos we build this long list of needs you know and it's a it's a dynamic it's a organic list that con- continues to change we add projects we take projects away 8 billion dollars worth of needs but only about 2 billion that's in that 2 year cycle so right. as you can see we just can't touch everything but we have to prioritize it's a you know worst first type of thing but also uh, every community wants a little piece of the pie, right? So even yeah. those communities, I'm not going to name any names, but communities that are not thriving like Warren County or even decreasing in population, mm-hmm. they have needs as well, safety sure. needs and you know maintaining their pavement and bridges. So it all it all gets divided out amongst the communities as fairly as possible. 
So uh, one of the things I, I didn't prep you on is that I wanted to talk just real real briefly about railroads and and how what what kind of impact do you have with railroads? How do you work with them? Because you know there are times and we've heard stories here you know where a major rail line you know they can stop and block traffic. Explain a little bit about that how all that works and and. I, I don't want to say, well, I guess maybe your hands are tied sometimes with some of those things that happen with railroad projects. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I want to preface by saying I'm not the expert at, at our coordination with railroad. We do have a, a coordination team in Frankfurt that handles that statewide. But mm-hmm. my understanding is railroads are regulated by the federal government. Right. So there's kind of a limit to what locals and the state government can do in that regard. The railroads are always quick to remind us they were here before us. They were those rail crossings that, you know, we were building our roads over their railroads. So right. They're, um, you know, we uh, partner with them the best we can. There's sure. some funding that is available to improve safety. So think about uh, rail crossing, uh, the, the warning systems and the gates and the flashers. There's some funding that comes through the state DOTs for that. So where we can improve those crossings. But as far as blocking the rail crossings, we really don't have a whole lot of um, say yeah. in that. And and on those rail crossings, I know you probably, I know you do, because I've talked to you about this before in the past, is that, you know, everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people like to see a rail crossing at every at, at intersection where the road crosses the railroad. It's just not doable. I mean, they're pretty expensive, right? Yeah, you're, if you're talking about flashers and whistles and all that, that's about 250000 per intersection, per crossing. Right. And there are something like 800 crossings in the state that don't that have passive system, meaning there's just a stop sign or a yield sign yeah. or a cross bucks. There's no lights or gates. So it, it would be hard to fund all those. <laughs> yes, and, and fortunately there is this priority list where based on a, uh, the traffic, the traffic counts, or unfortunately, based on crashes that have occurred, those yeah. tend to, you know, float to the top and get funded sooner. All right, before I let you out of here, talk about some of the unique challenges and opportunities uh, with the with the funding and and what you see for the future of this this region. This is an exciting place to work yeah. in transportation because, again, like I said, the needs are ever growing, and uh, I want to first of all, I want to make sure I, I don't leave without recognizing the team it's not this is not a one-man yeah, show yeah. right you, i mean there's people, a lot of great people working there's with a you. there's people a lot more in the weeds on these projects and the, the day-to-day functions of maintenance than i am um so there's a lot to do there's uh, like i said 2500 miles that, that doesn't none of that happens overnight we we just want to move the ball right we want to make progress we want to work with our local officials and i'm so fortunate to work in a region where, and I've, I've heard it on this podcast before, where people work together, right? right. We're not working against each other. We yeah. don't always agree on everything, but we work together to try to meet the needs of the citizens. As I've said before, we we, we touch every citizen in the Commonwealth every day. Think about you're, you're either driving or you're a passenger just about every day, going to work, church, school, wherever it is. Right. So we recognize the responsibility that we have. We take it seriously. I'm proud of the team and everything that they do. And looking ahead... We have to be practical. We have to be innovative. I ask for people to give us the opportunity. Occasionally, we might fail on something. Hopefully, it's a small failure. But I, uh, when you look at the roundabouts and uh, the R cuts, these U-turn you know maneuvers, we're trying to do everything we can to be practical, to maximize the dollars that we have, working with our partners. And um, you know, it's an exciting challenge in this part of the state. Well, we appreciate all the work that you do and the team. Uh, you, you've got employees all over the the region. Uh, that we're, and and really, you know, we get in this time of year, 
you're starting to think about clearing roads when snow comes. I mean, that's a whole different animal, but you, you have to deal with that as well. Gosh, fortunately, <laughs> here we are. It's uh, We're in the new year, and we haven't had an event yet. But right. I know, we know it's coming, and it's it's good practice for us so we don't lose our skills. But, yeah, that's, that's another example of where the citizen uh, re- requires us to do our jobs, and that means— even last year on Christmas weekend, we had our team out there working on Christmas weekend to help others get to their destinations on, during the holidays. Okay, I'm just extending this podcast longer, <laughs> but talk about which roads get cleared first. That's always a big question when, you, you know, obviously my neighborhood road is not going to be the first one because it's it's not crucial. <laughs> yeah, well, just like I've said before, everything is data uh, driven, yeah. if you will. And so there's a priority system. We can't do everything at once. Of course, your neighborhood, you're on a city street or a county road. A county think. road, yeah. But uh, as far as state roads, they're prioritized. You, higher traffic counts means they're going to be priority A. Middle of the road, more uh, priority B. And then if you're out on a dead-end state road or you're lower traffic, you know, we're going we're to get to you. Give us a day, but it, yeah. depending on the size of the storm, but it is all based on a priority system. Well, we, and we appreciate those men and women that get out there and do that work because it's a thankless job uh, being out there and having people blow your horns and, and, you know, just getting on you while you're trying to clear the roads or, or build a road. So we really do appreciate that those men and women that get out there and work every day and, and fight the elements, whether it's heat, cold, you know, raining, snowing. I appreciate you saying that because that, that presence is in every county. So, yeah. yeah, we have technical and professional staff that's uh, working on uh, planning and de- designing projects and improving our traffic operations. But we, we also have the equipment operators. We have traffic signal technicians. Last March when we had that – Huge windstorm that came through. We have 210 signals across 10 counties. We have four people that are had to spread out across four counties to fix every signal, just about yeah. turn the heads or signals that were on flash. So there's a lot of effort that's going in. And again, I like to say we're not from Frankfurt. I mean, of course, leadership is in Frankfurt. We, we get our directions from from there, but we live here too. I yeah. live in Warren County. We have a presence in every community, and it's our families and friends that drive on these roads too. Yeah. Good stuff. Hey, Joe, thanks for being on the DeCesare Group podcast. What an opportunity. I appreciate the invitation. Well, you're you're welcome back anytime. Thank you. So now you know a little more about what happens in the region with the Kentucky Transportation Cabinet and the great work happening there. Thanks to Joe Plunk for being on the podcast this week. If you enjoyed today's episode or any of our episodes, please take a moment to leave us a review for the DeCesare Group podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, X, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and subscribe to our newsletter, Soki Economic Development and Business News, on our website at thedecesarygroup.com. Today's program is produced by the Decesary Group, a full-service public relations firm specializing in small and medium-sized businesses in South Central Kentucky. The artist putting all this together is our engineer and podcast Picasso, Justin Decesary. Our content contributors are Brooke Mattingly and Amy Decesary. Thanks for listening to the Decesary Group podcast. Until next time, I'm Jim Decesary.